Hey everyone, welcome to The Starting Designer, a podcast focused on providing tips, tricks, and advice on getting through your first year of owning your own design business. Before we get started with our design industry guest, I wanted to give a special thanks to our sponsors, Revolution Performance Fabrics. Now, listen, relax, get some daily motivation, and enjoy. Hey podcast listeners, this is an interview Shauna and I did with Bill McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Furniture Today. STI was nominated and and ended up winning the Upholstery Fabric Mill of the Year Award uh, presented by Furniture Today, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. So I'm here this week with Sean and Anderson Gibbons, and we have something unique for you. We are podcasting and being podcasted simultaneously. Um, Before we get into this, Anderson, tell folks what you're doing and why we're kind of teaming um, and why I'm being videotaped, you're being videotaped while we are podcasting. So what are you doing at ST and from STI Fabrics? Well, so, so Bill, so we, we own uh, and the, the brand Revolution Performance Fabrics uh, and we're, we're all about content. Uh, we're all about video content, uh, creating blogs, any type of content that we can help either the design customer, the, the furniture customer, really solving upholstery fabric questions. There's a huge opportunity out there to solve upholstery fabric and, and furniture related questions and we do whatever we can at Revolution Performance Fabrics to solve that and that might be audio on your Alexa, that might be audio or a podcast on, on Spotify or iTunes, that might be a video on YouTube, That any place we can have that connection or that touch point with that any consumer, that customer, uh, the, the, the better the better it is and, and, and hopefully the, the more information we can provide about our industry. I sincerely hope you're not expecting that I will be able to answer questions for your audience because unless they want to know about writing and publishing, I'm sorry. I, no, I, I really, you I, guys I, honestly, are the experts. I honestly think you can, yeah. It's a, it's a podcast, it's called the, the Starting Designer and, and we try to work through uh, or we interview people in the industry and we go back all the way at, back to where they started in the industry and we talk about their hardest moments in their first year and this is hopefully a podcast that will uh, help upholstery shops, uh, starting designers, starting textile designers through their first year of business uh, so that they can uh, carry on and stay in this awesome business. Well, that is a really cool segue. Sean, tell me about, you are you grew up in the business. Yeah, I, first of all, yeah, if I can address why would a fabric mill do these things because it's somewhat un, unusual. Um, the reason we do it is uh, a little over two years ago, we started, we started an online store selling cut yardage revolution fabric directly to the design community, to upholstery shops, and even to individuals. It's amazing how many people, just normal uh, people, mostly women, um, buy cut yardage revolution fabric, and that's, it's really changed the game. Now, our, the consumer is going into uh, our customers' retail furniture stores and requesting the Revolution fabric brand. So it, uh, what Anderson's done with all this social media has really, really been a game changer for our company. Very cool. So let's go back yeah. to your first year in the business. Tell me about how you first got started in the business. I got started in the business. My father was an independent rep, a multi-line rep, uh, selling upholstery fabric. He started, it's funny, it's what's now STI in 1964. It was called K-Mills. They were a velvet mill. And um, so my dad was always bringing home the the new line and asking me and my mom and my brother and my sister what we thought about it. Of course, I had no idea, you know, like, 
he, he would take me to markets, you know, when I was in high school and especially in college. I, I went to Wake Forest and then University of North Carolina and I'd come over and walk around. Found it totally confusing, a, a sea of sofas. Um, really had, had uh, no idea I'd go into the business. He actually discouraged me. He, um, he said, you know, the days of the multi-line rep are over. Giants are taking over the business, like Mastercraft and Quaker, all mills that are now out of business. But he said, they want you to just work for them. A guy with a package of five or six little mills like me, I'm kind of fading away. You need to do something else. So my plan was to go to law school. So I was living as a ski bum in Colorado in the winter of 1990. It didn't snow much, so I came back to help my father do some work. Um, because we worked with small mills, he was very involved in the design process. You know, sending them pictures from magazines, you know, getting competitive samples, saying we need, you know, not knocking things off, but saying we need this type of product. And I found that I really enjoyed doing that. I enjoy the creative part of the business. And then uh, through a long story, uh, we were fortunate enough that uh, we came to own STI through my wife's family. So in 1993, instead of going to law school, I started at STI, um, the, the upholstery line. Um, the mill was still operating, but it was making specialty transportation fabrics. It had gotten totally out of residential upholstery. So I designed a line of cotton goods, working with a, one designer. I'm not a technical designer. I'm more of a stylist, I guess, someone who knows what they... An intuitive designer. An, an intuitive designer. You know, make something, something like this. I like these colors. I would go to the dye houses and dye yarns and pick colors and that, and that, and that kind of stuff, and I really liked it. And I would literally ride around the Hickory Lenore area with big pieces of fabric and say, hey, you like it? I'd make a cut. I'd write a label on it and I'd give it to you. And some people thought that was really cool. You know, be kind of a startup, ground floor. I was thinking it was 26 years old. And it just, it really, it really took off. Um, so um, that was 1993. STI had 30 employees and shipped about 8,000 yards a week. And now we have over 400 employees and we ship over 500,000 yards a week. So it's been a, it's been a really fun ride. Had some scary, scary parts. Uh, China in the mid-2000s, we, we were very fortunate to hang on. A lot of mills didn't make it through that, that time period. What did you do differently? Because, as you say, a lot of mills went away, so there must have been something that you did that allowed you um, um, to compete. Yeah, I, we had several advantages. We had already repositioned ourselves in 1999. We got out of cotton goods. That's all we made were cotton goods. Really the big retailers didn't run cotton. You know, the Rooms to Go, the Raymore Flanagan's, the, you know, the big commercial retailers. So we, in 1999, we got into synthetic goods and we knew the market was so well served by the big mills, Joan, Quaker, Mastercraft, Colt. We had to do something different. So we came in under the market. We had the concept of having a small office with just a few people, one designer in a big factory that's efficient, and just and being the low-cost producer. And some people got it immediately and started buying from us, and some people stuck with those, those already entrenched suppliers. So that was an advantage. We were already the low-cost producer. We were the right size. We were, in the, we were doing about 45 million. And we were just passionate about it. It's a, it's a family company. The people that own the business run the business. So we just, we wouldn't quit. And 
the, the scary thing is our, our sales were going down despite everything we were doing to keep them up, but we decided we needed to invest in the business, not, not pull in like a turtle. We bought Jacker's Looms. We hired Glenn Reed to be our senior designer. We added tons of new yarns. We went, we, we had, at that point, we were just really selling the promotional guys. We went up market, especially, you know, middle price points. Um, but now we're even selling into the, into the higher end. So we had to change. We, you know, we had to offer a complete package of base claws, jacquard accent patterns, um, a range of constructions, um, which is a really scary thing to do when your business is struggling. Well, I was going to say, I mean, if you were to look at what the classic business, like if you had brought in a consultant and said, what should we do to save our business? I can't imagine that he would have advised any of those things. The hardest thing to do is go from lower price to up market. I mean, the, yeah. the hardest thing to do is when your sales are going down to invest in all of these different things. So what was that conversation? Honestly, Bill, if I could add a little bit more too, and this is uh, this really comes from my dad. Um, we don't we don't actually talk about this enough, but uh, he has a set of rules. We we share the same office, and in the in in our office on the wall is a, a set of rules. It's the, it's the Viking laws, and you can Google it. Yeah, it's from two thousand years ago, literally from the Vikings. Yeah, on their raiding parties and how they organized themselves, and it's a great like business manifesto. So at the end, yeah, at, yeah, the, at, at the, the end of the day, I mean, we uh, we we employ empathy. We keep our group small. We keep our weapons sharp. We we attack one target at a time. We, we don't overcharge. We don't burn bridges. We, we leave our camp tidy and neat. We, as you can tell, this is ingrained in, in who we are. You know, we're, we're stubborn, we're aggressive. We, 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 we elect one chief. That's a, that's a huge, the chief being him, you know. Uh, it's a, it's a but it's, a t but it's, a, it's very much a team, uh, a company, a collaborative-based company, very much so. Yeah. But, it's at the end of the day, there's 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 one there's one person who needs to lead the ship, and that and he's he's doing it and has done it, and it, I'm I'm really excited to to be a part of it. I can hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you come across the Viking rules? Where where was the we're actually uh, um, Scandinavian of descent, and so we're kind of you know our family's from Sweden, well in Ireland too, but mostly Swedish. So that stuff was interesting, and you just read it, and I think my father found it. And I'm like, wow, this is like how we think and run our business today. It's, it's so cool that something written so long ago uh, is, is so on, on point for what, what we're doing today. Well, both of those are Viking countries. I yeah. mean, if you look at Irish yeah. history, yeah. Yeah. it is yeah. populated by, by Vikings. And, no, and yeah. the history of raids has been very influential in yep. um, Irish history. So that's kind of ironic that uh, it's yep. Yeah, we're, we're huge history buffs. He, he graduated with a, a history degree. Uh, yeah, I, I graduated with a, a marketing business degree, but if I would have chosen another thing, it would have been history. So history is a, a huge part of, of what we do, and um, history is a good thing to study too, especially in this industry. I mean, it, there's there's ups and downs, and you can start to, to identify patterns in any any industry, and and we, we really try to try to run our business, you know, that way. Yeah, and stay extremely close to our customers, and because the market's you know it's, it's constantly changing and evolving and I mean just what I've seen since 1993 is just and especially since 2001 you know when China can't really came on the scene it's just you know it's really been uh, unbelievable to be a part of you know we, we, we do say a lot though that China was one of the best things that ever happened to us it made us made us sharpen our weapons it made us to get 
get stronger, made us uh, differentiate ourselves, be fast, uh, you know, deploy empathy to our customers. Um, you know, we, we have to be customer. If, if our customers can't su succeed, then, then, then we can't succeed. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting. When I listen to you talk about that, it sounds very much like something I've heard the Wanics talk about at Ashley, and they talk about reinvention. And they say at their company, they've been through 17 or 18 reinventions, where basically you kind of reinvent who you are. And it sounds like you went very much the same thing in 1999. Um, yeah, we, we totally reinvented ourselves. Well, first, there was the first invention in 93, then the reinvention in 99. We basically dropped all the cotton skews we're making, except I think three and moved to the synthetics to polyester, polypropylene. Then in 2005, when the microfibers hit the market and just they just decimated our, our promotional chenille business, we had to reinvent ourselves again and, and go up market and do all the things I just, uh, I just told you about. And then in, um, again in, in 2007, we had a major, major customer go out of business, you know, we were still struggling with our transformation, and it was a, it was a pretty, pretty scary time. But we just, uh, you know, that actually required the owners of the company to step up and to invest more of our of our capital in, into the business. But we believed in it, and so that's what we did. Tell me what that conversation was like. So you had that conversation. Who was involved in that conversation? Well, first of all, our bank said that we had to do it. <laughs> right, but, but within the management of the company, I mean, this is a family-run company, right? So I'm, I'm just trying to picture what that sitting around the dining room table, sitting around the boardroom table, where, yeah. you know, what? Well, I, 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 I took, we basically had to, had to fill the, the void for this big credit loss we had just taken with this huge customer of ours that just went out of business abruptly. And the bank came in and said, you've got to fill this void. So I went to the rest of the family and said, hey, we all need to put money in the company. And they don't work there. Um, my, so they said, no, we're not doing that. Not an uncommon conversation. <laughs> I've heard many, many companies. Very yeah. reasonable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, the CEO, I believed in the company. I knew we could make it through. So my wife and I much, I drug her along kicking and screaming, <laughs> quite frankly. We, so this was the for worse part and the for better or yeah, worse Yeah, exactly. She says, you know, we're going to lose our home. I said, probably not, but maybe. But I got a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll figure this out, but we're going to get through this time period. We, you know, we, we had really turned the corner before this hit us. And this is, this is a one-off event. You know, we've already turned this company around. The microfibers are going down. We've stabilized the business. This is, this is the best investment I can think we could make with this, with this money, is that we're investing in ourselves and in our family. Yeah, it's, 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 it's true honor to be, you know, kind of the next, next generation. It's, it's, it's really crazy. He started in 1993. Uh, it's I was born in 1993. I mean, I, I can't imagine starting a, a U.S. textile mill in 1993 and also having like a one-year-old or less than a one-year-old. Um, but, I mean, I, I've grown up in this business seeing how hard and what my family has done and that's that's not just my immediate family, but my, my cousins as so well. So let me ask you, when was the first time that you realized what your family did? Because a lot of kids don't even know what their dads or their moms do, right? You go to work every day, you come home, and, and dad is dad, right? You could be the CEO of a company, yeah. but at home... It had to be before, uh, before the age of 10, uh, maybe way before that. I mean, I, I remember 
I remember our old Suburban and I remember the, uh, the weekly trips down to uh, Mississippi with the, the 12 brown furry chenilles. In the old brown suburban. So, I mean, I, I don't know a full year, but I was, I was less than 10. So, um, I mean, every, every, and I'm, again, like truly honored to be in it, but I mean, I, I've had a textile education since I was super young. I mean, every, every night at the dinner table, we were talking about fabric, uh, vacations, we talk about fabric. We, we, we eat, breathe, live textiles. And that, that's how we, do it. I mean, uh, yeah, we, we, we really enjoy this this business. And actually, Bill, you mentioned reinvention. We're currently going through our latest reinvention, which is uh, we're, we've entered the outdoor space quite successfully um, with really uh, a disruptive product as far as the look and the price and the performance. And we're, we love when we come out with something disruptive. Um, that is, that's really exciting to us. So we're going to have a great uh, show in September in Chicago with some of the major players in the outdoor space. At Storis, half of our team is devoted to client services. Our knowledgeable team is dedicated to the home furnishings industry, with many leaders coming from retail backgrounds. Their expertise guides our clients with consulting services, project management, technical support, and operational reviews. As a software company of 30 years, we know that innovation and adaptation are necessary for longevity. We want our retail partners to experience the same staying power. Proactively supporting their evolution of technology is a key component to our partnerships. Invest in your technological future by visiting stores.com today. I'm Caitlin Jazuski. Thanks for listening. Now, did you make a conscious effort, like when you had a child and he started to get older. Was it conscious? Did you think, I'd like my son to be in the business someday, or was Called, it? More? He, he, I, he, I did dad, the same you thing. You said your dad discouraged you. He I, discouraged me. I discouraged, <laughs> yeah, I did the same thing my dad did. I did, discouraged him, and, and but I was more short-term short discouraging him. I said, go be a ski bomb for a couple years, because once you get in this stream and you start working, you, you don't, it looks flaky if you if you get out and people don't understand that but if you you know whatever you decide to do if you take a couple years off after university no one holds that again you know and you got you can say hey I was a he was a guy in Alaska you know he started his own um, uh, travel company he did all these really cool things that you know and me as an employer I would say hey this is a great this is a great guy you know I don't care that he didn't go straight to work from college so I, I encouraged him and and that's what I'm doing, encouraging his younger brother to do. Uh, Did you do those things? Yeah, I had a, had a little uh, hospitality uh, travel business around Montana, so I took a 1980 Bluebird bus, converted it to a mobile cabin, so it had solar panels and bunk beds and wood burning stoves, and we were actually sponsored by a, a beer company called Montucky Cold Snacks, and so we got like a f bunch of beer. At Montana State, he was enrolled in the Jake Jabs of American Furniture School of Entrepreneurship. So his last semester, he said, Dad, I have this idea. I want to start this company. And I said, well, go to the dean or your advisor. See if this can be your last semester because you're going to need business licenses. You're going to learn QuickBooks. You're going to do marketing. This is probably going to be the best education you get at Montana State. And I think that's it's probably the only yeah, education I got at Montana State. No, but it was it was it was really, yeah, yeah the Harvard Sorry, of, the Harvard of the West. No, it, no, but seriously, uh, it was it was a really great 
opportunity for me. The Jake Jab School of Business and Entrepreneurship at Montana State has a bunch of very progressive teachers who teach outside of um, yeah, the traditional Bozeman's space. A really popular place for like ex CEOs and you know people with, who have been very successful in life to retire. And you know the new power career is to you know be a professor, teach at the business school. So they have some some yeah, great. Yeah, I was I was right at the the front of that. And so a lot of what I do today in terms of like uh, PPC advertising, uh, I was you know every everything we really used to to grow our brand today was was all kind of um, jump started. Uh, by certain professors at Montana who State. Point so pay-per-click advertising. So with with online marketing or uh, search engine marketing, like a, a Google marketing, you can market two ways. So you can do SEO marketing, which is uh, search engine optimization. So that would be like writing things like blogs or anything like that. And then PPC would be uh, spend money. Um, there's right. not there's not a right answer. <laughs> Google and Facebook are making it more about putting up the dollars, mm -hmm. it's become uh, the, the idea of uh, organic being, organic virality being viral is becoming increasingly difficult, right? It's, it's much more about the... Uh, well, as, as businesses, we like, we like to think that, you know, I, I, I hear all the time, let's make a video that goes viral, you know, so as, as, a, as a business, no matter if you're in the textile furniture realm, we, we like to think we can decide if something goes viral or not, and we can't, you know, we, we also... We also apply that to um, content creation too. We like to make something that looks beautiful or anything like that. But it, ultimately, it's it's not us to decide. It's, it's it's the consumer. It's the person who views the video. So uh, it's amazing, you know, the post. If we're talking about Facebook and Instagram and any other social platform, the stuff that we'll post that will get amazing engagement. And I'll be like, kind of scratch my head, like, huh, you know. But then the stuff. Give me an was, example. We we posted. We wrote a blog about furniture that was made in North Carolina because we saw that that was a search term especially with the tariffs and anything like that and, and, and we thought we could ride that up and so we promoted we wrote a blog real simple blog about promoting a lot of our customers in North Carolina and that thing exploded on Facebook I mean we had comments about people saying thank you for writing this I had no clue um, I mean people we had zero bad feedback. The, the amount of shares we got organically was, was insane. That, that's a piece of content I, I thought would grow uh, like it did, but we've, we've had stuff where, you know, I've posted like the cutest dog picture. Like people love dogs, babies, and, you know, kids, and we've posted that and it gets like nothing, and then we'll post some photo where I just think it's horrible, and I, I wake up the next day and it's, it's gone crazy, and I scratch my head and I don't understand, but ultimately it's not my... It's not my it uh, decision. Show, right? It's just it's 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 our customer. Yeah, we make videos showing the, how your fabric's made and who's make who makes your fabric. People really engage with those. We also make videos about our customers, and and people really engage with those too. And we hear you know we didn't know fabric was still made in the United States. We we hear we didn't know furniture was still made in the United States. And the engagement with those things has just really su surprised us mm -hmm. a, a lot because we're passionate about. We're passionate about it, um, as you can as you can tell probably in our voice. But um, it's it's really great to create a piece of content like that and, and see well, that other people and, are and create um, marketing that's not so salesy, that feels authentic, that's not just a, a pitch. You know, hey, buy this. You know, he's he's great at, at, at storytelling, both 
telling stories about STI and the people at STI and making fabric, but also telling the story of our customers and how furniture is made, and we want to take that even farther and start telling stories about uh, retail in America, and especially some of the smaller retailers. So that's something we envision in the, in the future. Let me ask you, because one of the things we try to do on the podcast is talk about things that anyone could apply in their business, right? Lessons about business. Um, this is a very family-oriented, the furniture industry has a lot of family, and the idea of integrating a new family member into the business. Tell me a little bit about how you got him started in the company, like how you decided what his role would be, how you brought him in, because, you know, that's always an issue. Yeah, yeah, we, uh, it all started when we launched the, the Revolution brand, which our timing on that was just spot on. I, I was seeing two brands, Umbrella and Krypton, really making big inroads into, into residential furnishing. And I knew with our polypropylene yarn system, if we made 100% polypropylene fabric, we would have this fantastic performance story and we wouldn't have the need to put any chemical finish on the fabric. The cleanability would never wear off. So I was, I was telling him, you know, that we're launching this brand. And, you know, hey, I'm going to build a website. He's like, well, who's going to build it? And I said, well, I've hired this company in Raleigh and I'm paying them X. And he's, Anderson says, are you, you lost your mind? I can do it. I can do that. And I'm like, no, you can't. And he said, yeah, I'll show you. So by that afternoon, he had built this really great website. And I said, cancel the, called the company in Raleigh and said, cancel the contract. And I asked him, you know, how much did that cost? And he underpriced himself and said, like 300 bucks. <laughs> I was like, you got First to be business lesson I ever learned. Yeah, so, okay, so what I'm hearing is that um, you made your son interview and do work on spec and underpaid him in order for him yeah. to get to the company. Well, yeah. and, <laughs> Tough and interview. It, yeah, it was. And, and really, I had this whole like training program, like on his way home from, from Montana to North Carolina, he, he stopped at a customer of ours in uh, Texarkana and worked there for a week. and. I saw, you know, moving them around different positions in the plant, even working for different customers of ours and, you know, so we could learn the furniture business. But it turned out he knew all this stuff about e-commerce and, and websites and all these things I didn't know he knew. <laughs> and that we needed that desperately and no one in our company knew anything about it. It, it was so different from when I was 24, 25 and came in the business because everybody assumed I didn't know anything because I really didn't. You know, I, it was just experience and all that. But he, he came with all this knowledge about how the world has changed and how we can market and sell products. I mean, it's the, the, the number of people you can reach now for the cost is just, it, it, it's mind boggling, really. But you have to do that, you have to deploy empathy. Modern marketing is a boxing match. That, that's a good kind of analogy. And, and if, if we want to, to connect to that customer, if you're selling fabric, if you're selling furniture, if you're, if you're selling any, any product, out, even outside of this industry, you have to deploy empathy. Modern marketing is a boxing match. We can't just say, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. I truly believe, and we truly believe, that the brands that will survive and the brands that will ultimately win with the end consumer are the ones that make the brand the most personable. Um, there's, a, there's a really good quote to me, and I'm, I'm going to say it, or before I even say the quote, I'm going to say that you know, advertising is great and you still need to continue to advertise. But it's a, it's a quote by the CEO of uh, GoDaddy, or not GoDaddy, of GeekSquad.com. And it's essentially, advertising is a tax on the uninspiring 
company. And advertising is great. It's a great way to get a product. But if you can truly get your customer to talk about you, if you can show the personality behind the brand, who makes the product, if it's fabric, if it's furniture, people will become loyal to you. Loyal to you. Uh, you're, you're in the print business. You're in the, the audio business. You understand word of mouth. And, and, and ultimately, and, and for always, your customer, if, if you can convert them into talking about your product, that's the best. You, you'll never have to market or you'll never have to advertise again because your customer will do it for you. But Bill, don't want to hear that. <laughs> well, I mean, we think about those kinds of things. But, I mean, that, but you're doing it right. Content you're, creation you're, business. You're, you're doing, doing it right, right now. now. You're changing. Yeah. Yeah, you that's you're, you're not just a magazine anymore. Oh, well, you know what's funny? People say, oh, I read furniture today all the time. Well, we do videos, we do podcasts, um, we do events, we do a lot of different things, and you do have to change. You do have yeah, to. Yeah, and we watch them and we listen to them. And it makes me advertise with furniture today, and I, we love Well, thank you. We appreciate yeah. that. Here's yeah. our commercial message for today. No, we do. We see furniture today as, as probably the very best way to, to reach the, the industry um, because, you know, the players in the industry, you know, they read your magazine, they go to your events, your conferences, uh, shows like this. I wake up every day and I, I see your um, your organic email marketing and, and I it educates me. I I like to think I know a little bit about marketing, but I honestly, I'll be the first one to say, I, I, I don't know enough about fabric and I don't know enough about furniture and, and, and the articles organically that you provide to me educates me and it's gonna, keep educating me and, and people like me getting in this industry because uh, there's more and more young people getting into this industry which I think we're all excited about. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's going to be a big turnover in the industry obviously. It's, uh, it's, it's aged a lot. We kind of almost skipped a generation in my mind with all the turmoil and upheaval caused, you know, particularly by, by China, but just the whole, the whole you know, world and global supply chain. Well, I mean, you had around. the influence of China and then you had the second largest recession since uh, yeah, the Great Depression, the, no. right? So when you have those in, in the course of a, you know, a decade period, you do basically miss an entire generation of people who probably did not come into the furniture business at a particular time and yep. had to go elsewhere. So yep. um, it's interesting that when I hear about Anderson, your involvement in the company coming from something that you knew that the company didn't have. I don't know if you realize how emblematic that is of society at large today, in that for the first time in history, you have a younger generation that is now transferring knowledge to the older generation, right? If you look historically throughout yep. time, the older generation typically passes down its knowledge. That was, that was what happened to me. Yeah. But, but when it comes to technology, it's the... But at the same time, too, um, we have to learn from each other. Um, and what I mean by that is, don't just look at me as this, this uh, age group that, that knows everything. I, I don't know about upholstery fabric as much as I should. And you can't learn that from a book, you can't learn that from a university. It takes time, it takes years. Where, where true greatness happens is when you take the knowledge and the history that is in this industry, because again, you, you can't learn it anywhere but in this industry and, and apply it with uh, all the technology and, and, and all the, the ways of communicating with the end consumer out there and, and that's that's where that's where brands are made. That's where companies that last, you know, decades are, are going to be made in this industry, are being made in this industry. So let me ask you, uh, Anderson, when your turn comes and I don't know, maybe you, your wife has started to ask him, where are the kids coming? My, I got to a certain age and my mother and grandmother started that question. But 
all, in all seriousness, as you look out to whatever the next generation is, would you like to see your children come into the business, or will you also follow the time-honored uh, Gibbons <laughs> tradition of discouraging them from being in the business? I'm going to discourage them. Apparently, apparently something works. So yeah, I'm going to I'm going to discourage them, and uh, we'll see. It's going to be up to them to to come into the business or not. Well, it seems like both of you kind of fought your way into the business in uh, in a way. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> definitely. You know, when I started in 1993, running around cutting little strips of fabric, people almost other mills, you know, probably laughed at, at that. And then when we uh, reinvented ourselves in 1999 and started undercutting the big guys on price, I mean, I was told by the industry experts, you're not going to do this very long, so-and-so is just going to, they're going to wake up and they're going to crush you just because they can. And they just, they under, the big guys underestimated us. And they could have crushed us. If they had cut their prices and just, they could have taken us out. But they just, uh, and it taught me a valuable lesson. Not, don't ever underestimate the competition. Always run a little bit scared. Be a little bit, you know, be, stay hungry. Stay, stay aggressive. Um, don't, don't get too comfortable. And my, yeah, my guests this week are Sean and Anderson Gibbons. Sean, let me ask you, if you didn't do this, what would you do? If you weren't, in, if you hadn't fought your way into the textiles business, if you had listened to your father and gone a different direction, what would it have been? I was, before STI, I was actually going to leave the business because I was a little bored being a, uh, being a sales rep and I was going to go into finance and go work at a hedge fund. I was uh, trading stocks and was very interested. I've always been interested in, in business and companies and investing. So that's, I would have gone and done something like that. Anderson, how about you? I'm not really sure. Maybe, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I have a real passion for marketing and I have a real passion for, for telling stories, so some type of uh, digital advertising firm. I see I'm at like a fly rod company. <laughs> yeah. or, uh, Might live in a truck. Might live in a van <laughs> with my brother and travel around. Do you like film. to fish? I love to fish, yeah. I'm and into, he's, he's good at it too. I'm into hiking and climbing and biking and surfing and everything in between. So, so what do you do to relax? Those same kind of things. Yeah, we were always a outdoor family, you know, snow skiing and mountain biking. I actually live in Durango, Colorado now, and that's because of the, the lifestyle. Everything's just right out my back door, um, including uh, not uh, 97 degrees with 100% uh, humidity <laughs> like today in North Carolina. But uh, I'm, ba I'm back at the mill a lot, though. Thank you both for taking the time today. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Out of blast. And I, yeah. and I hope this works for your podcast, no, too. No, this is, this so, is great. Uh, you can listen to us either here or uh, what's your website? Here's it's, your, here's your chance for pitch. It's Where the starting designer. It's, uh, it's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. Uh, and then you can also uh, see it on Podbean. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Starting Designer, a podcast for your first year of interior design. Please make sure to reach out to our guests and thank them for their advice. I want to thank our sponsors, Revolution Performance Fabrics, and please make sure to follow and subscribe on your preferred podcasting channel. As always, I'm your host, Anderson Gibbons, and thank you for listening. Have a great day. Go crush your design business.